Cuba's a low-budget science fiction film about a group of characters who wake up in a series of connected rooms. With no idea how they wound up in this mysterious prison, they soon discover that many of these cubes are filled with deadly traps. Today we'll discuss the many mysteries of the film along with our thoughts on its characters, themes, production design, and its highly effective, eerie atmosphere. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together and we talk about sci-fi movies. This episode we are continuing 90 season with a very popular cult movie from 1997 by the name of Cube. So that is what we're going to discuss. We'll start spoiler free as we always do. We'll give you a warning before we go into spoilers. Uh, but the premise of Cube is really quite simple. A group of strangers wake up in a cube. Uh, you, you know, d and this cube connects to other cubes. And there's doors on all six sides of the cube that go to other cubes. Some of these cubes have traps in them. Death traps. They don't know why they're there. They don't know how they're supposed to get out. But they have to try. <laughs> that is Cube. That's the premise of the whole film. Um, it is a very low-budget film. Um... I'm pulling this out of my ass because it's been a long time since I heard this, but I want to say it was like like a $70,000 budget or something like that. Something tiny for, for a movie. Uh, and they had one set, which was one cube, and I think like either a half or just like a side of one other cube. So that there's like a background whenever they're looking through one of the doors. That, and they'd obviously swap out the color plates uh, for for each of the different cube rooms, but that's what they had. That, that was their entire set, and they made a whole movie with that. So... That is uh, what we're going to talk about today. And I have seen this before, quite a few times actually. Uh, it was one movie that I saw out back in the early 2000s when I was like in my early teens. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I need to see Cube. I need to see what Cube does. Uh, but Tara, I believe you had never seen this before. That is correct. This was my first time watching it. Were you excited to finally see Cube? Yeah, I mean, obviously I had heard about it quite a bit. I think you've even brought it up in reviews for some other things and... When I went to the video store, I remember seeing the cover and people talked about it, but I just never picked it up. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how it uh, worked for you then, uh, especially since, like, uh, all on the basic premise, which maybe maybe you didn't even know that, but I'm assuming you knew the premise. Uh, did you know much about it going in? No, I, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, I, I think I sort of guessed what the premise would be. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, based on the cover and the... Uh, of the DVD case that I remember. Sure, sure. Uh, interesting. the name, you know. Interesting tidbit. The reason why I kind of first heard about Cube, funnily enough, uh, is from the first Resident Evil movie. There's a scene where there's like a laser grid that cuts a guy up. And I remember, because I listened to the commentary track for that first Resident Evil movie. Why I did that when I was like 13, I don't know. But... Uh, on it, the horrible director that is Paul W.S. Anderson um, refuted the claims that he had ripped off Cube and that it's just a coincidence that there's kind of a similar scene in that. And I went, oh, what's Cube? <laughs> I have to go seek out Cube now. <laughs> You've just sold me on it. <laughs> what's Cube? Uh, so that's actually how I went looking for Cube, I think, originally and, and found it. But uh, yeah, so ultra low budget, uh, simple little science fiction premise. Um, We'll get into the ins and outs of it, but first thing, and most importantly, how did you feel about Cube? I liked Cube very much. 
I think that it's a, obviously a cool premise. Um, you can you can definitely tell like it's just one set with different lights, but <laughs> um, but still it's a cool set. It's a cool idea. I imagine this movie worked really well with philosophy students. Uh, <laughs> I'm not one of them, so I think that uh, those people probably have this movie pretty high up on their list. But for me, it's it's just it's a good '90s sci-fi movie. Came out in '97, which is like a really good year for sci-fi too. Is this, is this contact year? Is this what you're yeah, implying? Contact came out. <laughs> Lost World came out. <laughs> Lost World's not good. It's, it's mediocre. Starship Troopers. Okay, you like that more than I do. I, okay, <laughs> sure, you, you like a lot of 97 sci-fi. Um, I, I do think the, uh, oh. the acting is like okay the, in this. The acting has its moments. There's definitely... Like, I, I think it's always charming. Like, I don't think it ever goes into, like, this is cringeworthy bad. The, the, it always feels like... Mm, the cop guy can be kind of bad. <laughs> no, he, he kind of is. He has moments where he has to kind of really, like, show that he's thinking something, so he kind of really overdoes, like, moments or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I always... I think that's kind of a charm, because it really does feel like a bunch of people making a really cheap movie, but the core idea and just the, the craft of the actual movie-making makes it all work like it, 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 you know, it, it convinces you you feel like you're going through this cube maze of cubes i i swore that kazan was played by michael rapaport but it's not him but god lee he looks so much like him it's just some other guy uh no it's not him no i never thought <laughs> i never thought that was michael rapaport <laughs> uh i can't see I, I do know uh nicole DeBoer obviously because she was in deep space nine. Oh well i've not seen her yet in deep space nine have i you will not see her. She replaces Terry Farrell. Well, I will see her then eventually. Well, yeah, yeah. You've not seen her now, but yeah, we'll but you see just, her when you just said I will not see her. Like what have erased the existence well, of her for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was very ominous. <laughs> You're gonna be off me before you will I get never to... get to season seven. <laughs> You're gonna be off me before I get to season seven. <laughs> um... You'll wake up in a cube where there's no deep space now. Yeah, I, I, I always remember finding out uh, that Nicole DeBoer, who plays Levin in this, uh, she's like a teenager in this, but I remember looking like when I saw it and she was like 33 when they made it. <laughs> um, I, I guess maybe it's just compared she's to very small. the yeah, other actors. Pixie. Yeah, they just they get away with it. Um, I think David Hewlett, I think he's known for doing some Stargate stuff as well. He plays uh, Worth in this. So I think he's known to some... I, I've not watched those shows, but I think he's known to some other sci-fi corners of the nerd internet. <laughs> So. Yeah, I've seen some of the show, but I don't know it. No, I think he's from one of the later ones. I think he's from like Atlantis or uh, mm. you know one of the one of the post SG one shows. Uh, uh, actually, there's a guy who's only in one scene at the start, the cold open, who is a recognizable face who I've seen in a bunch of things. Uh, uh, Julian Richings, he, he's had the small bit parts and a lot of things. Over, the, he's got a kind of a he plays a lot of creepy characters because he's got like this. Yeah, he's, sort very, of, he's very gaunt. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a gaunt face. If you if you just glance at his IMDb, he was in Man of Steel. He was in Urban Legend. He's been in um, the Umbrella Academy recently. You know, it's one of those places faces that I could never have told you something specific, but I know I've seen him in a bunch of things. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that he's got like, a small role in here uh, as well. But no, no, oh, no. I mean, I, I think the movie's really good. I, I really liked Cube the first time I saw it. I think it's very inventive. It's kind of what I love about 
inventive low budget filmmaking where they're making a lot out of very little and the imagination that it kind of inspires makes it feel like a much bigger movie than it actually is and when i watch other low budget movies try and do that and it doesn't work i feel really sad because i'm like oh, i know it's possible but it takes a lot of talent to to kind of pull it off and the fact is is that the movies that i've seen from this director uh, uh was his name vincenzo natale i've not really liked the other movies i've seen by him um sadly what else has he done uh, he did splice and i think he, i want to say he did a film called cypher as well uh in like the early 2000s and I don't think, I, and they're both sci-fi, so we'll both we'll, we'll do both of them eventually, I'm sure. But I wasn't super into those. Like they weren't, they weren't terrible necessarily, but I wasn't like it, they weren't this like magic lightning in a bottle that I think Cube kind of captures, which is there's just the right amount of mystery that kind of builds intrigue around the whole thing. The simple visual style of it really makes it work. It makes it feel distinctive. Um, the effects hold up surprisingly well, except some of the CG for the traps, which look a bit, <laughs> like, really primitive and ropey. Um, yeah. But for the most part, though, I think a lot of the low-budget nature of it just adds to the, the charm of it. And kind of, like, it, it really feels that you're you're doing, like, a bottle movie where you've, you've got, like, a, a script, you've got a, some direction, and you've got a bunch of actors who aren't even the best in the world, by any means, as we've pointed out. But... They just give it enough life that I, I I never think the tone falters. I never think I'm not intrigued in the the world that we're in whilst I'm watching the movie. Uh, it carries it through so much. I think it's just the feeling of the film because it just it feels cool and eerie the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's some gruesome moments in it too. Oh yeah, I wasn't ex- I really wasn't expecting gore once I realized like oh I don't really know anybody in this cast except for the one on Deep Space Nine and she's not like a big name or anything so i don't know like i just i wasn't expecting some of the great gore that we get in it and some not so great gore also yeah yeah there's the us mix but obviously you have these traps in the different cubes i think if anything um i would say that it's a a lot more psychological than i think maybe what i thought when i when i was first going to watch it way back in the early 2000s i probably thought that it was going to be more of like uh, like dodging traps right and technically they're dodging traps in this yeah, but it's, it's like saw two <laughs> yeah but it, it's, it's a lot more like yeah there's a big there's a few big set piece trap rooms but for the most part it's more about the psychology of like knowing which cubes to go into and kind of try to figure out a way to tell without even going in and risking anyone and so uh which i actually appreciate i think more as i've gotten older i think at the time i was maybe a little disappointed in the first viewing i liked the movie but i probably wanted more traps I think in hindsight, I actually really like that it plays the way it does, because um, it gives them more of an aura and they feel more special when they, when you actually do get to see them. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it works. And that said, you know, I've I've seen the sequels or the sequel and the prequel uh, that they made. It's kind of a trilogy, <laughs> I suppose. Um, we'll do those movies. We will get to them. Uh, you don't seem thrilled. I. Like, I really didn't like the second one. I think the it, it was kind of like... It was kind of like, here's here's this with more of a budget, but for some reason they took away the traps. And I'm like, wow, what? <laughs> like, why did you do this? Um, and I remember Cube Zero being a little better, but nothing compared to the first one. Uh, so, But they're definitely high-profile enough, though, that I don't think they're bonus episodes. I think they are full, regular episodes. I, I think there's a lot to discuss with them. Okay. So... Um, you know, so pro- probably sometime early next year we might uh, make a point of tackling the, the other Cube movies, but 
uh, for today we're talking about the first one. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And so much of it is kind of spoilery. Like, you don't want to talk about too much of, like, who the characters are. Or... Because ultimately it's about what happens next, right? And uh, you can say that about any movie, but in this it's especially true, because, like, it's what's in front of them, what, what are they doing, how are they figuring things out. You don't really want to spoil any of that. So, uh, we're probably going to spoilers quite soon, probably sooner than we usually do for movies uh but i imagine most of you have probably seen cube and if you haven't i would recommend going and, and watching it because it's it's on like every free streaming service <laughs> it's easy to get to it these days yeah yeah uh for sure it might um, be on youtube i didn't check yeah I, I like the visual style of it I, I like the tone that it has i think again the it not being too glossy actually makes it feel eerier. Like, is this some mysterious place? Like, You know what I was thinking? The design of it? Cause, maybe because I just watched the new Hellraiser, but it looks like they're inside the, like, Leviathan configuration <laughs> thing or whatever. <laughs> the, the, Excuse me, I think, you'll, I think you'll find it's the Lament configuration. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> just a little horror nerd <laughs> on you for a minute. Uh, no, um, no, no, you're I, right, you're right. I just watched it, too. But there was a, a mention of Leviathan, but... Uh, yeah, the, the word Leviathan yeah. does pop up in Hellraiser. It's just not the name of the, the box. You're right, obviously. Lament yeah. configuration. Yeah, I am... Um, <laughs> I, I think I like it. I like how, the, how like, there's, like, a natural, like... Like, a ladder built into every side. Like, cause mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's meant to be scaled. It's meant to be, like, accessible on all sides. And uh, they play with that as they, as they go out. I want to say the set could rotate and they could actually... You know, so that they could actually have them hanging and stuff or... Uh, but it's, I think it's, it's a very distinct film and I think you get a lot out of it and just having simply different colors really add, gives a different tone and mood to a lot of different scenes. You know, when they're in a red room, it feels really tense and like, oh, this is like, you're getting to you. But when you're in like a green or blue room, it's like, oh, this feels kind of mellow. It feels kind of like a calm yeah. before mm-hmm. some storm or something, you know? Uh, so it's a really simple design in a lot of ways, but it's, it's very effective and like I say, you, they get a lot out of it because they build a whole story around just having this one place, effectively. Um, and I think it always works. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you can sort of, like, if you know how movies are made, you can assume that it is only one set with, like, one partial second cube to, like, have as a background. But I don't think it ever really feels limiting in the movie itself I, it, it always just feels like yeah they get the next cube and you can see the other cube through the door it, it, it always feels real in that mm-hmm. way so yeah uh i dig it i dig it a lot um yeah it's interesting as well that there's definitely some stuff we're going to talk about in this about some of the characters and some of the themes they bring up when they start theorizing about what this place is uh who's behind it that kind of thing and we won't say it here because I, I do think it's all kind of spoilery to even start talking about that but not that they give you straight up answers, but I think the conversations themselves are one of the more interesting things in the movie. So you, I, I wouldn't want to give that away in the spoiler-free section. But I, I do think there's going to be some interesting conversations to be had about that, and I think more specifically, what these character, like what the characters think it is, says about them, and that's actually a good bit of character building in this. Like I wouldn't say it's the most genius script ever written or the most layered one, but I do think there's some like signs of who the characters are and the turns they're going to make as the movie goes on and, and things like that. I, I think it's baked into their viewpoint on the world and what they think this place is to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I, I, I really like that going through it this time. And there's one element that, you know, arguably may be a little problematic, which we'll talk about uh, as well. 
feel like we've already had this conversation a couple of times on these reviews. (laughs) We have. Although I am going to partially defend it in this movie because it's more than just the trope. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll explain explain what that is when we talk about spoilers. But uh, I'll say there's more to it and it's it's saying more about the other characters in this particular movie. Uh, So it has more of a purpose. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So yeah, I'll, I'll say spoilers so we can we can talk about it and, and get into all the, the juicy bits and details. Uh, so, digitally, I, I love that this movie straight up has a cold open because I, I don't even think they run into the body of the guy in the first scene. I kept expecting them to. Yeah, they never do. But we don't really have a context of like, when was he in yeah, there? When yeah. are any of them in there? So it could be older, don't know. Yeah, it could be from a prior group to put it in the most basic mm-hmm. terms, but... Yeah, he, he you know he wakes up. He's like, "Where am I?" And this is the, the creepy kind of like, "Okay, it's for you know, for the audience." He's like, "Okay, where is he? Where you know what, what is this place?" And he just yeah. opens a door, not really sure what to do. He's like, "Okay, I guess I'll just move forward." And he goes into the next room, and we get the. He just kind of like suddenly stops, and we hear a noise, and then you see like just the the grid of blood starting to pour down his face. And honestly, I think the visual effect for this holds up surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. I, I was expecting this to look really bad. I don't know if part of it's actually kind of practical and that's why it looks good still, but... Because in a second, when you see the uh, the actual grid of, like, you know, wires or whatever it is that's come, when that folds up at the end of the scene, that looks terrible. <laughs> that looks, like, super dated CG. Yeah, but, like, the, the meat and blood bag <laughs> yeah. that we get to see inside of this human. Yeah, and, like, the fingers falling off and parts of him falling off. I, I thought that was really well done because he kind of splits in two and then all these sort of cubes that have been made kind of yeah you know, sprinkle down it, it looks good it's, they, i think it's definitely probably the most impressive effect in the movie and i think that's why they start with it. it's like hey okay you're in we've won your trust because we've just impressed you so right, now yeah. that's no it's a really good cold open like the guy doesn't even speak the whole time but we're definitely getting through the context of what he's doing or his situation like just what this setup is yeah he there are c- rooms that are dangerous he had six options and he picked the wrong one, yeah. obviously. He, he, They're different colors. Uh, he, that's basically what we know. He clearly doesn't know where he is. So that that's like, in, you know, given to us. And then obviously the big surprise ending of the scene is the, is the trap itself, which plays of, oh shit, like some of these rooms are deadly. Uh, so right away it's like, okay, there's the premise. You, you've got it. Mm-hmm. You understand that it's simple, it's easy. And then we start to alert me our, our characters, right? Uh, and there's a bit of, subver- of a subversion because the character that's kind of introduced as our lead heroic, like, main character ends up being the villain of the movie. Uh, the the cop character, Quentin. And, you know, because we start with him. We start, he's the first one we see after the title and he's, he comes up and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Worth is lying there and uh, we run to the teen girl, Eleven, pretty soon. And then we get Ren who, like, is immediately, like, the one who's, like, just already doing things. He's, like, he's already forming a plan. He's moving. He's he's doing things. He seems to understand or... It's not even that he understands. We can't find out that he's actually someone who's escaped from multiple prisons. So he's just yeah, going to... like an escape artist. Yeah, so it's... I want to know if this was a trope at the time. Because it's definitely become a trope. Like, whenever you get a movie where the premise is a group of characters are, are thrown together and they all realise they've got a... Per- like, oh, one's a doctor, one's a cop, one, like... Like, everyone's got a purpose in the group because for the test or for the, the social experiment or whatever it is. Um, I, w- I wonder if that was already a trope at this point or is Cube kind of one of the first movies to do it? I don't know. 
like building a party <laughs> for going on your raid. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the other thing I can think of is like the Twilight Zone episode where the with all the like what is it like uh, six people trapped in a room or something, and they all have very different things, very different skills because mm. of the twist. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe yeah, I, and I would argue this is, there's a little Twilight Zone in this, so maybe yeah, maybe that's oh, this is very Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I, I think. Um, I, I like that realization though is that as they're going on uh, and, they're, and they're sort of trying to like because some of them are freaking out some of them are like worth is just kind of like staring and he's just not getting involved in the conversation he's kind of detached from the group most of the time which kind of starts to piss off quentin as the movie goes on he's like why are you not engaging why are you not helping there's something up with you he gets suspicious yada yada mm-hmm. um but yeah, we we have all of the character roles introduced. So, so now that we're in spoilers, we can kind of say what they are. So, Ren is an escape artist, which obviously is he, oh, his purpose for being there is is very clear and very easy. But then, of course, they have him uh, be the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> where we find out his method because his method seems fine at first, you know, because he's 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 taken off his boot and he's thrown the boot in with the, the lace tied to it and to see if there's a trap right and it works a couple of times because some of the traps have motion sensors uh but of course the big thing we learn is that not all of them all of them yeah Yeah. (laughs) some of them have thermal sensors some of them have sound sensors some of them have chemical something something sensors i think looking back on it this one must have been a sound one because i think he says something and then he gets sprayed in the face uh possibly i think uh, their theory at the time is like uh, chemicals that are released from the skin. It must have sensed them instead of mm. motion. Which, I mean, there's no reason why they're right and you're not. <laughs> they, they could just they could <laughs> equally be wrong, but that's what their guess is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he said something kind of like not like a one-liner, but like, uh, or he had like this realization that he was in the wrong room and spoke, and then the faucet of acid came out at him. Yeah, but it, it it doesn't happen because he says it though. He realizes it's happening and he says something. He says I don't remember what the line was. It's like it's basically something akin to "oh crap" because <laughs> he realizes that he's about to die. And this is a gruesome death. Oh yeah, he gets, <laughs> his face gets melted off. Uh, yeah, it's pretty grisly. It's a great effect. Yeah, and he, he comes back out and his his face is all gone and uh, obviously they're all freaking out and scared. It's like oh shit, the boot method's not working anymore. <laughs> Whoa, and whoa. plus you only have so many boots like that's you're run out of boots quickly well yeah because one of the rooms he throws them into like it gets like sprayed with fire or something like that and he pulls it back and they can use it again but you can sort of see how quickly some of these traps might just destroy the boots <laughs> and they mm-hmm. won't have you know not all of them are going to be able to pull back in and reuse so yeah you know we've got a very limited number of boots in fact he even says the only reason why he's, he's sort of let them come with them is because he needs the boots <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to need all the boots <laughs> to get out <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right very practical very practical man but i love like the confidence you know like someone's like oh i heard of you you're like the you you've busted out of like three maximum security prisons before um maybe he's based off a real guy i think his last name stevens there, there was a movie about him okay. who actually is like busted out of like five prisons or something in his life um and uh so i i like like everybody all of a sudden has like this confidence like yeah we got the right guy on our team <laughs> and immediately it gets killed yeah i think it's like oh this is to, to you know make it feel really desperate for the rest of them because like shit mm-hmm. you know we're we're he's the one like if we are in a prison which we don't know like this is the prison escape artist 
Yeah, and we, we learned kind of the argue, obviously. So Holloway, the the older woman, and I just mean older and compared to uh, Levin. She's younger. not. Yeah, she's not like super older, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, she, she is a doctor. It turns out, uh, which obviously you can see how that skill may be useful. Uh, Levin, obviously, when because you know the cops starting Quentin starting to piece it together. So oh, we've all got a purpose, probably. Like, what do you do, Levin? She's like, I'm a skilled, like I'm a teenager. I go to school. Like, <laughs> I'm boring. I'm nothing. Um, and then it turns out she's a math whiz, and that becomes like a, a big deal because there's numbers on the, the doors of all the cubes. Like in the whenever they open the door, there's like a little number. It's like three sets of triple digits, maybe four. I can't remember exactly, but um, and then there's like a theory for a while that the, the prime numbered rooms uh, have traps. Like if any of these numbers are a prime number, the room will have a trap. Uh, and for a while, they sort of use that in the book to kind of make their way through. But uh, like, so we get to the sense of who they are, but you know, you know, Worth's being very quiet. Worth's not really engaging, and he's got a couple of sn- snarky little lines here or there. Um, but there's, as this goes on, though, and I think this is probably where we're going to tangent into just this discussion on it. So this will be like its own little pocket, I imagine, before we talk about the rest of the plot. Is what is this place? Who built it? Why is it here? And what is this? <laughs> like, what is actually going on? Uh, because they start debating it themselves, and there's like some different worldviews that come out. And typically, whenever you have a bottle story, and this comes out in Twelve Angry Men, it comes out in Twilight Zone episodes where they have just a group of characters in a room, is that how they talk about a subject kind of reveals who they are and what their beliefs are, right? So mm-hmm. Quentin, over the course of this conversation, uh, because Holloway keeps saying that, oh, man, this is the government, like, they're the ones that could have built something like this, this is a conspiracy, uh, it's these bastards, the system's got us all down, and Quentin defends it and says, no, there's no conspiracy, you know, it's just more guys like me, it's just, it's just the system, they, they buy boats because they're rich, they don't, you know, do stuff like this, and then eventually when Worth chimes in and he's got some more information, he's just kind of like, there's, like, it's neither, there's no conspiracy, just things just happen because everyone feels that, you know, they've committed to something, so they have to give it a purpose. So that's why this place exists, right? So there's these, all these things are thrown out. Oh, oh, oh. Go on, give me some thoughts. <laughs> Do you like any of these ideas? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, that's why I'm saying, like, it would be nice to watch this with, like, a philosophy professor. Sure. Even a student, you know. <laughs> um, and, like, break down exactly what type of people we are dealing with like what kind of philosophies they're representing and you know what uh what this could mean in the larger whole like does the cube represent humanity does it represent capitalism does it represent human life in general uh uh you know it could be a, a bunch of different things and i'm sure there's fun ways to decipher that as far as the characters go and their response to it um yeah i don't it's it's very interesting, and uh, you know, this is just so sci-fi that it you know it's a fun thing to do to try to f- figure out the allegory here. But I do like the allegory of this is just nothing. Like it's we built this, and so we felt like we needed to use it. So obviously, there's going to be people inside, but uh-huh. there's no real purpose to it. But we spent all this time and money into building it, and we got it fool people into thinking what, that it should exist it's a critique of it, of the system in and of itself that idea um i i i i like how you know like quentin clearly becomes the guy who's defending the system and as mm-hmm. you know believes in the system that he's a part of as a cop and he's a cop yeah yeah so you know he 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 believes in that he thinks that's how, how it should work and 
I think this film is definitely kind of against that stance because ultimately because of what he becomes, he's the one who breaks down. He's the one who goes psychopath as the movie goes on because the system doesn't make sense. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So he, he becomes this, this product of the system, which is, is it, you know, he's the one that ends, he's the one that people are supposed to look at for protection. He's the one who's meant to be there to be a leader and to, you know, literally serve and protect is the, is the slogan that shows sometimes. But in this, he ends up being the danger. He ends up being in, you know, I, I'm not going to get us to go into like a more serious topic about that representing police brutality or what, what some police officers do, but it's hard not to like notice that and sort of say, hey, like maybe there's a, a little intentional thematic dig there uh, at the system uh, through that character. Um, I mean, he has to give himself purpose because like the characters point out later on, he's not really helping. He's just taking charge. Because mm. that's what he thinks he's there to do. He thinks he's got people figured out because he's a detective. But he's just instead, you know, making everybody go insane. <laughs> yeah. And he, he's also the one who, as the movie goes on, we find out he's got a, a few kids. He's He had a wife, but the wife has, has left him. They got divorced. And at first it's like, okay, that's a bit of character, whatever, cool. But then as the movie goes on, you see how he starts to get angry and react to the women specifically. And, the, and the, I mean, he gets angry at the other the guys too, but the way he speaks to the women specifically feels like, oh, this doesn't feel like it's the first time you've got angry and spoken like this. This feels like this is your real character starting to shine through. Almost like the I'm the protector hero figure is this facade that you're trying really hard to maintain. But now that we're stripped away from the, the world and we're just in this like raw unfiltered place the real you is starting to come out after you know after 10 hours or whatever it is in this place so yeah they don't need a leader they need everybody to work together equally because yeah. everybody has a skill that they can offer even if it doesn't seem like it at first yeah so i would definitely say that there's a critique of just the system if, if you want to call it that like it definitely feels like it's 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 pointing out how a lot of these people in the group are capable and really useful at what they're doing um also, how Quentin is the one who gets angry and doesn't like, you know, the, the final character we get introduced to, a Kazan, uh, who is mentally disabled. Like, you know, Quentin is the one that, the entire time, the way he speaks to him, eventually he usually slurs and everything, you know, but by the time we get to the end, and he's not holding back. But even to begin with, it's like, oh, should we just leave him behind because he's a liability? Um, again, that could be seen as a criticism of the system, the idea that, you know, those less fortunate are left behind. There's a, you know, there's a lot of subtext kind of sprinkled into that. And sure. It, you know, but then I think there's the fun side of this conversation of, okay, forget what the themes are, or forget the, you know, the, the, the thematic read of the film. Just thinking about in the context of the movie and in the universe, what is this place? Like, obviously, they jokingly, or, you know, semi-seriously, I would even say, suggest... Did aliens build this? Have we been abducted? Mm -hmm. Is this some sort of alien thing? And I don't necessarily think you can rule it out. I mean, I know obviously uh, Worth says he was contracted to work on the shell of the cube, so he actually knows a little bit about it, which I actually love that idea that over time, anyone who was hired to do a bit of work on this in some small part to put it all together is eventually put in to be killed because uh, mm -hmm. they want like, all traces of its existence to be wiped off, whoever it is. But that could still be aliens. I, I don't think the idea of aliens are all that, um, you know, preposterous, <laughs> given the, like, scope and size and where they are. I think it's the cop who's just like, no, this is some, you know, this is just rich people who are playing some sick game um, with the, you know, making a dig at class systems. Um yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Is, is it the couple says? I, I don't remember, but it, but it probably was. Like it says, that just, this is rich people's sick, sick fantasy or something. Them just... Yeah, because I think the the uh, doctor lady says aliens at one point, and he laughs at her. He's like, "Can't? It's not aliens. It's just some sick fantasy of rich people." And so he's uh, describing the plot of Squid Game, is basically what he's saying. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Squid Game. But... I mean, that's not, that's not much of a spoiler. Like, I mean, like Squid Game is basically just like a, a game show to the death that people are roped into and clearly there's people who are watching this so you know you assume it's the rich right so there's not even a spoiler that you say that uh yeah i mean and everyone or at least not everyone but like the the cop is like you know people are watching us they want to see what what we do what our decisions are or if we like kill each other or yeah, how, I, we, how we figure this out and I think we assume that as the audience, like it feels like, yeah, they're probably being watched. But at the same time, they never actually find any evidence that they are. Like, they never find a camera. They never find a, like a, a like a microphone or anything. You know, there's never any evidence of that. I mean, we assume they are. They probably are being watched. But we never they, actually like. I don't know, because I mean, even the the worth says at one point that like when he when he was working on it, he didn't know where the commands were coming from like nobody really knew it was just something that they always did so they just kind of kept doing it or something <laughs> they don't know where the where all everything's coming from where the what the top was and he said he tried to research it and it just seems to go lead nowhere well he never so. said he never said that like they've just always done this he said it was a job that took three months but you're right about the rest of it he said that um you know, the, 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 no one knew where these orders were coming from or what the whole thing was going to be. He was just yeah. contracted to design a shell and other people were contracted to design other parts of it. Um, I guess I didn't recall the, the three-month part, but I I, I guess I am also meant more in the sense of, like, he's, a, he's an office worker. He just does what he's told. Like, he is very much just skating through life mm. from his description. And he's very nihilistic where he's just, you know, his attitude the whole time is just like, why bother? And he just seems like the the type was just yeah I I work in an office where somebody tells me to do something and I just do it you know unknowingly building something that would be his own demise. But notably, like it's not the whole time because that's his arc. He's, the arc is that by the end he does give a shit and he is trying to help and he does mm -hmm. care about the other characters and it's kind of showing that he's someone who being put into this situation actually brought out a better person in him, like someone who existed that was wasn't being fulfilled or stimulated in, in any way you know like um it turns out he was actually a pretty decent man by the end <laughs> you know and it, it, which is funny because obviously at the start of the movie he seems like he might be a villain and quentin's the obvious hero but obviously as the movie goes on it's like hey this guy isn't a typical hero figure but turns out he's actually got some solid values that he's going to stick up for when push comes to shove so yeah he gets shoved a lot. He does get shoved a lot. He gets thrown. There's almost a couple of comical like throwing through the the doors where he just goes flying through when Quentin yeah. throws him. Uh, but <gasps> I, I I do think um the conversation of like what this place is 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 pretty fascinating. Both both what the characters say in the movie and then just sort of what you could extend that to yourself. Like I'm talking about being tasked to design the outer shell and no one knows like. You know, it made sense to me when Holloway responds to that. She says that, um, you know, you, the left hand and the right hand don't know what each other are doing. It's still, to me, I still think there's someone at the top. I think there is someone way up the food chain. You know, the, the ultimate villain or G-Man or whatever you want, yeah. or the alien, it's whatever better. it is. Um, yeah, whatever. Like, whatever one it is, there is someone at the top who presumably does know what's going on here. Unless you do prefer the theory that, yeah, like somewhere somehow all of this got commissioned and then no one actually knew what it was for so now they're just 
doing stuff. Yeah, it seems like somebody <laughs> has put them there, though, right? Like it, the the fact that we get that Worth is involved here mm-hmm. so tells us that well, they're still on Earth, at least if if it is modern day. Uh, then... Well. I don't know. They could be in orbit. Like, I mean, the key thing I would say is that they're like whoever's behind this are still kidnapping people and putting them in here. So there is an active program. It's not like they've just like left it and forgotten about it. Uh, mm-hmm. They're actively bringing people to this place, um, wherever it is. Right? I think you know Holloway thinks it's like in New Mexico. So she's she's thinking it's like buried under Roswell <laughs> or something. <laughs> she's the conspiracy one. Yeah. Um, Anyway, she has a little bit of an arc as well by the by the end of her story, uh, where she ca- kind of, you know, because at first like Worth kind of is representing like the the system because he he has a part in it, and she's really disgusted with him when she first finds out. But then uh, by the time they've had all these conversations, and then before she's going to do her big heroic thing that ultimately gets her killed, um, I mean, it's not the heroic thing itself. It's obviously it's, there's a person responsible, but we'll get to that, um. They have this sort of heart-to-heart moment where she kind of says, oh, you've kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Like, you know, like, she can't blame every single person that's in the system for how it is. Which, again, it feels like a proper thought piece on a system. Whether that's, you know, the the government or just the, 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 the system of civilization at large and how it functions. Uh, but it, it does kind of feel like the movie at the start and the character who's the most representative of the problems with the system, which is Quentin is the one who immediately tries to assign everyone, okay, we all have a purpose and a role in this system, so let's establish it. Yeah, he's trying to bring order into chaos. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily... It brings uh, some comfort to know that there is a plan. And not necessarily that there's uh, anything wrong with, like, okay, so your strength is math, your strength is... Everyone can have their strengths, and that's what makes a society a society. But he's determined to, like, put people into these roles... And that means he's the leader, and that means he's in charge, and that means there's this bureaucracy to follow and a hierarchy as we go through the movie. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, he I actually to determine who's expendable. Yeah. So the fact that because, he maybe because he knows deep down he's the one that is expendable. Yeah, maybe maybe he does know that, maybe he doesn't. But I, I think as the movie plays out, the the idea that the whole thing is about these people having roles, so. Like any bottle story, you have a microcosm of a larger thing. So, mm-hmm. like, this is about them having to accept roles in a really simplistic thing where we've got four or five characters, they each have a role, and this is how it breaks down by the end. And that just represents what happens in the world, <laughs> is that we have this big system, and it's constantly failing people, and people are breaking down because mm-hmm. uh, we're pushed into positions that we shouldn't have to because they're not fair. It's not fair that there's traps and, like, you know half of these rooms or however many yeah. and if you don't know math you can't like determine which ones yeah, you, yeah you <laughs> I, could... I kept waiting for the colors to be like a pattern or something oh, that sure. would show up but um that's not really addressed but it could just be like what you were saying before is that it just influences our characters like if mm. they're in a red room that more they get more enraged or frustrated or something and i didn't notice because it's the first time i've watched it you could read uh the the numbers thing you just mentioned there uh like, if you don't understand numbers, you can't navigate through that. You could read that as a direct representation of money. Like, if you don't understand the economy and how to actually, like, accumulate wealth, then you just don't work in the system. Like, you fail, because that is the only barometer for the success, <laughs> effectively, right? It's what you're all driven yeah. to. That's what, what we it are all driven to. It certainly has nothing to do with education. Or character. 
Mm -hmm. It is probably just about wealth. Yeah. Uh, so I, you, know, you could read that and in, into in that. Um, and even and this is where I might defend some of the stuff with Kazan because yeah, we'll we'll you know, we'll have a proper conversation about his character. But is the, the idea that only this kind of like magic. Like, so everyone dreams of winning the lottery, everyone dreams of the quick fix to getting the fortune, right? If we're going back to the wealth idea. The idea that the character here who can solve this complex, like, thing that even the math whiz can't, because it's just, no, it's, it's too big, you, you can't do this in your head. This, this thing. And then all of a sudden, this character who is mentally disabled is able to just, you know, say it. Yes, we're going to talk about how that's a bit of a trope, having, like, the autistic character be able to, like, do something special, it's right? Always a, it's always a savant. Yeah, yeah, it can always do something, right? We can we can talk about that, and that is a fair criticism to have. But I do think that it kind of represents something here in, in a weird way, which is, like, the, the idea that there's no logic or certainty to any of this, and it's just, like, this crazy random thing that shouldn't happen is the one who's the key to success, because that's kind of like something we all hope for in society is that we'll just ra luckily randomly out of nowhere just get lucky and right i think there's more to it than that as well though i, I think the way the other characters treat him especially like quentin right i think a big thing that starts to show you that he's the bad guy and worth is a better character is how they treat kazan and how yeah. everyone kind of treats him um and i, I think so while I do think there's a valid complaint about the whole, you know, the, the person on the spectrum is also a secret magical genius, there's a problematic element to that because it's a bit of a trope. Uh, but I do think it does do more with it in this movie and that it uses his condition and how other characters treat him to say stuff about the right, other characters. It's not just a plot device yeah. or like now we can escape, you know, because yeah. we have this thing. But it's more of a... Yeah, you're right. It's more of like, this person is representing the really marginalized, the ones that everyone looks over. If and I, at one point, uh, Quentin even wants to leave them behind, you know? Yeah, so... I'd, yeah, I'd say more than once, but yeah. obviously there is there is a room where people just can't... You know, it, it's... He has these ticks and he has to say things over and over again, but this trap is sound activated, so how oh, do we'll, you Yeah, we'll talk about that, because... Now we'll talk about that scene on its own because that is a, that is a great scene that is worth it's diving very into. Tense. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like he multiple, multiple points with so I think the character is used to say a lot about the other characters, but then yes, thematically, what he represents in the truly marginalized, and then ultimately thematically as well, the idea that uh, that he does magically come up with this answer that no one else could come up with is meant to represent both this hopeful idea that we all have of like striking it rich in, in a weird way but alt alternatively also uh to show that like everyone in society has some value and obviously here in a movie it's a bit of a unrealistic thing just for, you know for it to work in a movie but i do think there's a kind of a nice message in here and to be fair i think this trope started because it want this was always the intent when the trope did start was that they're trying to say, hey, everyone has value. Everyone has something to offer, even if it doesn't seem like they do it at first, right? Um, and it's a, it is a really choppy way of doing it. But I do think here, it, given all these other themes we're talking about, about the system and about how things represent the system and wealth and a big part of that, I, I do think uh, through talking about this, I, I think we've kind of landed on another reason or another layer that he kind of represents and adds to. So... I do think he adds a lot to the movie, even if there is like that central trope that you can kind of, you know, critique and say. It's... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was waiting for it to show up for the movie. <laughs> I 
I mean, this is the same year as Mimic, and that happened in that movie as well. But I, but I think it is utilized very well in this. It's just, yeah, I was just sort of expecting it to happen. It says that a lot he more. Would ha- he would yeah. be, you know, he would be the key. That's I, I kept thinking that he would see a pattern in the colors that nobody else did, uh, especially since like he when he showed up, he's like, I don't like red rooms. I want to be in the blue room, or something like that. So. Although I assume when you say you, you were waiting for it to happen, I assume that was after he was introduced and not like... You, you were just thinking before that point that there was going to be a character like that. No. no yeah. yeah. After yeah. Uh, I saw that he was a character. Yes. Because yes. that'd be very impressive <laughs> if you were sitting there in the first five minutes going, I bet there's going to be a character <laughs> who's going to magically solve math problems later on. I'd be very <laughs> impressed by that. But no, I... Yeah, I I do think they say a lot of things with that character in this and how it fits into all these themes, and th- this is partially why, like this movie works so well is like we we've just sat here talking for probably a good fifteen minutes at this point about just the themes and what this movie is saying, or and not even necessarily saying, but just what it's the questions that it's posing for us to talk about, the, the questions that it's kind of raising uh, about how. It's obviously this is an even better movie, but Night of the Living Dead, like one of the great things about that film is that you get this microcosm of society and this power struggle between the main black character and the kind of this, the stuck up white asshole who thinks he should be in charge in this crisis. And they never directly talk about uh, like the, the, the core issue that it's clearly it's about. But it's there, and you know part of the reason why it's such a great movie is because it's full of social subtext. It's full of allegories for things, um, you know, the zombies representing the horde, like so you can assimilate with the rest of the, you know, so you can you know comply, and uh, the resistance to that is why you're in danger. You're not one of the 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 group kind of thing, like all that stuff, uh, which ties into Vietnam and you know not wanting to like go to war for the country and blah blah blah, all that stuff. Uh, They're coming to get you, Barbara. All great. Um, I'm not saying this is as good as that, but I do think, in a very similar vein, the reason why this works so well, on top of just the the you know the raw like suspense and like fun of figuring out the traps and figuring out w- what it is and where they're going, it's because there's actually a lot of layers to the themes of this and mm-hmm. what it's talking about. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of subtext, but there's also a lot of wears on its sleeve. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't try to hide a lot of it. Uh, yeah, it definitely just blurts them out, and mm-hmm. it never. I don't think ever really hurts it though. Bizarrely, I think these characters talking about stuff the way they do. You know, some no, perfor- no. performance moments aside, uh, I never had a problem with them bringing up the subjects and and <laughs> discussing them because yeah. you know they would get bored. They're just going cube to cube. <laughs> like they would they would start theorizing why are we here? What is this place? You yeah. Know? You know, it's probably a pretty good dev- double feature to do with um, with The Matrix, but I think also it's probably a good double feature with Hands on a Hard Body, the documentary where you watch people go insane because they're sleep-deprived. <laughs> 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 I enjoy watching films where people break down because of stress. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't argue with it. Yeah, um, yeah so... I think it's a very rich film, and it's not a perfect film. It's very rough around the edges. It absolutely is. But I think that actually just adds to its authenticity in a weird way. Like, mm-hmm. one of the things I don't like about the sequel is that it's too sleek. Um, it also gets really complicated and stupid uh, with what it's doing. 
<laughs> so I'll, 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 I'll leave it there for now. We'll talk about the sequel later day, but um, my memories of Cube Two Hypercube are not uh, are not pleasant. <laughs> Hypercube. Yeah. That sounds way more sci-fi. It definitely goes more sci-fi, but I'd say it's to its detriment. <laughs> so, is there a second cube? Well, they've definitely rebuilt uh, <laughs> uh, a, a new cube. Whoever's behind it, they're gonna run out of people. They're gonna end up murdering everyone. <laughs> I, I don't know if they tore down the old cube and built up the new one in its place, or if uh, you know, I, I don't know. How it's That's happening. okay. Don't spoil anything. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. I've seen it, so I, I, I'm just wildly theorizing here based on nothing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So like that, that conversation that just took like 15, 20 minutes. Like that is why I think this movie, like, has right. a lot go- going for it. Yeah, it's a great little indie movie. Uh, yep. But on top of on top of that, you just have the actual suspense of everything and the characters breaking down and. Uh, a lot of set piece moments, which I think we're about to get into and, and talk about. Uh, the one you kind of uh, were hitting at earlier was the the room that's triggered by noise. So they're trying to make their way to the edge of the the overall cube, but because uh, Worth knows the dimensions of the outer shell, uh, Levin's able to try and roughly figure out how many cubes there is and like how close they are to the edge, and they're trying to make their way, and they get to one where like shit we have to like all these cubes are trapped right every single one around us except for the one we came in is trapped do we have to turn around what do we do and it's like we're running out of boots what do we do this one's triggered by noise we understand this one we could sneak through this one but of course we have kazan who will occasionally make noises because you know it's just part of his condition yep so we have this really tense and it's a really well done scene, you know, where Worth goes in first and he's climbing down as quiet as possible. And my favourite little touch in the sound design of this scene is that when they're in the, the, the room of the trap and we're watching them climb down, it's very, very silent. So much to the point where when it cuts back to the other characters watching in the previous cube, like, the, just the, the ambient room noise comes in. So you actually notice even that dropping out. It's almost like they're going into, like, a like a soundproof chamber and it's they're not really but it kind of it, but it's there by design to make you feel like you're good into like a really eerie like we can't yeah. make a sound it makes you want to hold your breath just yeah. because it's so quiet and you don't want to contribute to the noise either absolutely it's great there there is like a little throwaway line just to explain why the doors don't set it off like he, uh quentin just goes oh they must be rigged to ignore them and i'm like I don't know how sound if sound sensors uh maybe it's just that, for but... human voice yeah who knows uh, yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, but uh, it's very tense, of course, because Anne's coming in last and he gets his foot caught on the, the handle of the bottom door and he's about to make a noise and they have to try and, you know, uh, and then, well, he's not last, he's like second last, Quentin's last, but when Quentin's coming in, just as he's about to get out, Kazan makes a noise and he has to like just dive out the door mm-hmm. before he gets, you know, slashed with all these wires that are coming in. Uh, but it's a really fun sequence, a really tense. It's, it's like right in the middle of the movie, give or take. So it's a nice big set piece, like mm-hmm. in the middle, that makes so much out of little. Because yeah, you see the trap go off when they make a noise at first, but it's mostly just them moving quietly through a room. But the the tension's been made clear. We understand the the, the, the jeopardy, so you feel it the whole time. 
Yeah, and I mean, this is where we get the discussion of do we leave Cass Cassin behind? Um, like, is is it worth? Uh, and like, even uh, you know, the student who we like for the most part, um, she's also kind of like, you know, we can come back for him, and and the doctor lady's like, uh, you know, that's not what we're gonna do. Like, if we leave him, he's gonna be gone behind here forever, stuck in a room surrounded by traps. And uh, I I do like the. Um, yeah, like everybody's characters is coming out compared to the scene. Like the doctor lady is the only one who's like, you know, everybody needs to survive. And it, it does put in perspective like these these people who think that they have things figured out, like the the leadership role or the uh, uh, the one who's the math whiz. So she's able to figure out the numbers. She still ends up being wrong a lot of the times. And it's it's a little bit of like, well, we could leave him behind because it seems like all we really need is the numbers girl but that doesn't you know actually play out the way they expect yeah so. ultimately they're kind of rewarded for bringing him with them because then he ends up being the answer later on because it's after this where the the you know the, the, the news because like you mm -hmm. said she's she, not so much that she's wrong it's that there keeps being more layers to the numbers than she initially because at first it's just prime numbers yeah. and then it's like, like coordinates kind of thing and then it's like when they realize eventually that they because they get back to a cube they've already been in and like shit we've went in a circle and then they realize wait a minute there's no cube outside this one so what's happened and they realize they're moving and one of the things that uh, i think was pointed out in the commentary track that I, I did listen to way way back in the day is that for this to be real there'd be a lot more empty spaces than there actually is in the movie like if they were if they're moving around every so often uh, there'd be a lot more empty spaces than you they may see but you know well, it's whatever like, you just roll with it um, yeah, it's like one really big Rubik's cube. Kind, kind of, yeah. It's like tw I think she says at one point it's twenty six by twenty six by twenty six cubes. So it's you know moving around and and all sorts. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, they go to the the thing, and it, it almost is like because like yeah, I was I almost thought like yeah, it'd be so maybe not to have as much layers in the depth that this one does because it's got a really good bit of science fiction thought behind it. But and we've had this great discussion about it, but. I think you could make a lot of good fun sequels to this, even if they're not as deep, because I'm like, just think of interesting traps and like how they have to try and get around them. Like more stuff like where they're sneaking through the quiet room. Just think of other possible traps like that where, okay, they can kind of sneak through this, but they have to, you know, don't, don't do quiet again, but maybe do, oh, like the sensor takes a couple of seconds. So if you bolt and run really fast, you can dive out there. Let's do something, you know, like there's a way around it. I can see how that is fun. I like the idea of the traps being random and maybe like, maybe not everything has it. Every way has a trap, you know, and, you know, it could be like any which way you go. Well, you'll be safe, but you may not be going the right way. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not saying change I that. I, I'm not we, saying change that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying think of set pieces for another movie. Like, just like. Yeah, you know, for, no, I I think you're, you just run the risk of falling into like becoming a saw franchise where it's not really about anything it's just sequel for murdering <laughs> oh no i agree that's why i'm saying it's not as deep as the first one but you could do fun like b-movie sequels to this and they could still be entertaining and like uh yeah. you know I, I would say less i mean i know you're comparing to saw because it's got traps but th that franchise i'm thinking more like 
you know, Friday the Thirteenth, where I just I'm having fun just with a silly well, slasher yeah, movie. Well, yeah, like how many times do they have to figure out the same things as the other characters, or are, are they different cubes every time with different rules, or is it like a? There could be different you know, rules. Do yeah. We have, do we have to have someone who figures out the numbers thing again and realize that they're in a cube and how many there are and how far away? Look, I, I, I get. You're right. I get that this is that these are the, the pitfalls. Repetitive. These are the difficulties, and this is some of the stuff that the Final Destination franchise has fallen into. I'm just saying that yeah. there is actually some fun reasons to want to do sequels. There, there are some fun basic things that you, I would say, this is why you maybe would want to do one. Um, yeah. And have fun with it. I haven't seen them, but is the escape room kind of like this? Ah, oh, nah. They, like. The escape room like puzzles are so obtuse. Like I, I, I would say that the appeal of those should be that the audience could play along and try and figure them out with the, the the characters, but they're so obtuse and like nonsensical that you you would never be able to figure them out. You're not giving the the pieces of the puzzle to do it, so you're just kind of watching them be super genius by the time they figure it out. And it's like, yeah, I can never have done that. I think puzzles like that in those movies work when the audience like you can kind of get it ahead of the, the the characters you can sort of try and piece it together yourself um tube's not like that because it's not presenting a puzzle like that it's, it's a very different type of thing but uh i think that's why those movies fail uh i mean they're, they're not terrible they're, they're watchable fluff for what they are but uh, they're not you know anywhere nearly as good as cube <laughs> i guess is what i'm saying um but anyway, as I said, so yeah, the, the, the Quiet Room, um, which was really fun. Uh, we had the melon face and stuff. Uh, one of the big set pieces, though, and this is before they realize that they're moving, uh, is they get to the edge, and there's like a sort of space between like the cubes and the outer shell, and it's just this bottomless dark pit where they can't really see past a couple of feet of the, the door that they're looking through because there's just, there's just darkness. Uh, you can maybe see like a little bit of glow from all the other doors from the other cubes, but it's just a void. Yeah, yeah, it just feels like a void. Uh, so they want to jump out. They want to swing to the other side and see if they can see anything. Um, there's only one exit on the outer shell, apparently. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, where where is it? It's kind of important what what side that's on because we could be mm -hmm. on the wrong side, and even if we're on the right side, that could be down at the bottom. It could be in the middle. It could be at the top. You know, this thing's pretty tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Holloway uh, agrees to be lowered down. They make a rope out their clothes. Uh, so they're all kind of in their like, shirts and underwear for the rest of the, the movie. Uh, Quentin wants to do it, but they all kind of point out, hey, you're the biggest person here. You're the heaviest. Wouldn't it make more sense to ha send someone down that's later? And Levin's too important because she's the number girl. So Holloway's next. She volunteers too. She does. Because she's ultimately a good character. I mean, obviously she comes off a little bit conspiracy theories, you know, like not at times. But ultimately she is always caring for the person she takes in as her patient in Kazan. Mm -hmm. And she ultimately bonds. Like, that's the thing we were talking before about how they're saying should we leave him behind or not. And I like that Levin, it doesn't feel like she's being mean. She's sort of seeing the practical reason why... Quentin saying we should leave him behind because he, he does make random noises and he is kind of like he may get us killed so she's trying to like be diplomatic and maybe naive in her youth because she is younger and saying oh maybe we can just come back for her maybe we maybe, can like maybe she yeah. still believes in the hero at this point yeah. and she thinks that that's what Quentin's role is which is why it's so great that he kind of gets a bit sleazy with her later on because it's like it's a complete betrayal because she was looking up to him as a protector and then later on and 
he's, he, all he's doing is kind of like brushing the back of her neck, but it's starting to, it's like, oh, this is taking yeah. a turn to creep, Creepyville. Um, I think that really shows that that change in him great and how she looks at him. Uh, I love the, uh, the moment it. before the before this, before the doctor Actually, goes. Just, just, just let me finish the... I was just going to say that uh, worse the one that actually ends up siding with Holloway and says, no, we need to take him with us. And that's kind of his first big... Oh, he just made like a good, noble choice. I just wanted to finish that thought before we moved on to whatever yeah. else. Um, and I think at this point he still kind of feels like he's going to die anyway. So like they're all going to die anyway. So we might as well just all go. I think that's like, just if the, this is the way they go. Then that's the way they go. Yeah, too. I think that's just kind of the start of the turn, and maybe the point where Holloway starts to respect him because he is the one who says, "No, let's go with him." Yeah, that's you know, let's bring him with us. You know, he, he's the one that steps in and sort of like breaks the tie if it, if, if it is a tie. You know, yeah. and, and as a vote, he like steps in and says, "No, we'll take him with us." So, yeah, yeah. But before, like the before the scene happens where we get um, Holloway on the rope, um, you know, her and um, and Quentin are is his name Quentin, yeah, yeah are Quentin. having a um, having an argument, and I love that he is breaking down because um, you know, he, it turns out this hero image is kind of a facade that he's putting on, and she's calling him out on his true character. Which is the thing that he prided on, like where he said, "I know this guy is hiding something. It's my job to know this kind of thing. That's mm. why I'm an asset." All of a sudden, someone else is doing the thing that he said he was good at. And there's a layer of on his bullshit. Yeah, there's a layer of hypocrisy to it. You're saying. Well, also, he probably feels like he's no longer essential, and so if he gets rid of Holloway, then he can have that role again. I mean, even if, it, in a, if it's just in his own mind, so that he doesn't go crazy. Oh, this yeah. is the thing that for him that he I, I never, important. I never thought of it that way, but you're kind of right. Like in this scene and before when she's like saying, no, we need to bring him with us. Everyone comes with us. She's kind of becoming the leader of the group to yeah. an extent. She's, she, it's almost like she's gotten over her conspiracy bullshit. She's gotten over her fear. And like, you know, earlier on, she's like saying stuff like she's angry all the time. But once she's calmed down from that and she's starting to sort of think with a level head and think practically, she is naturally becoming the leader over yeah. Quentin. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. So, obviously, I, I've always read him, you know, because she kind of falls and he dives out after her, but then he intentionally lets her go. And it's a great little moment, actually, because he kind of just has this look in his face. He's like, oh, I can just drop I you. I get to be the one yeah. that that lets you die yeah. instead of you falling naturally, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I always have read that, and I think that's obviously still applies to it, is that he is feeling threatened in power, and because just purely because she's starting to challenge him but i've never thought of in those specific terms that she's actually starting to take over as the leader so the idea that his role in this you know quote-unquote society that is this mini society that has formed this group is taken being taken over by a woman which he hates yeah because yeah. his wife left him yeah yeah because <laughs> there's a couple of times on the build-up to this where he's starting to get more frustrated and at one point he does say quiet woman or something you know he, he does yeah. say it in that kind of way where you're like Oh, how you view other people is starting to come out now. Like how you treat women, how you treat people who challenge you, kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm starting to get this impression now of this like you know shitty husband uh, cop who thinks he's right, and that's why the wife ultimately left him. And Holloway kind of spells that out at one point. He's like, no wonder your wife left you, which is a natural thing to say, but she's kind of spelling out the idea that yeah, like accuses him of hitting his kids too, and mm -hmm. he doesn't like have a defense so i think she's just you know seeing him for who he is yeah it's his true character it's after he almost dies in the quiet room because he grabs uh kazan out of anger and she tries to pull him away and i think that's when he hits her yeah yeah 
So again, yeah, his true colors are kind of coming out as the as the movie goes on. Um, and it's also uh, I probably didn't realize this when I watched it the first time because I was like thirteen or whatever. But watching it this time, that little heart to heart before she goes out in the rope with her tying it together and she's with uh, uh, Worth and he, you know, they, they kind of have this moment where. She sort of says, hey, you've kind of opened my eyes a little bit and you're kind of, uh, she, I don't think she says those exact words, but you're kind of a good guy. And he kind of like smiles back at her and says something as well, encouraging. I think now watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally like right before her death because this is too happy. This, this is their ending of their arc together. Uh, She's bringing the team together also. Yeah. Uh, and you could argue as well. More evidence. And you could argue as well that she is is responsible for, for worth stepping up after this. Like, her death is almost inspiring him to become, like, challenging Quentin and saying, no, I can't let you run riot the way you're doing now. I have to stand yeah. up against you. The only asset that Quentin has now is that he's just bigger and stronger than everybody. So he has, he's he's just become, like, the threat that is following yeah. them the whole way now. Because he can't, they're not stronger than him. And it becomes, yeah, it becomes this Billy where he's sort of, like, demanding that, uh, Levin read the numbers and they try and find where they're going and ultimately it turns out that the very room they started in was the room to stay in because that's the one that moves to become the bridge uh, ultimately or is next to the bridge because uh, there's one room that moves outside the cube grid and that's like that's when it's at the door at the exit so they're kind of fighting to get to that point but eventually uh, after some other moments of like fighting and mostly just being bullied by by Quentin uh worth actually traps him in, a, in one of the doors and traps him by the neck and tells the others to run and uh you think he might be dead because they sort of he falls down one of the bottom door to the cube below and there's some blood from his head so they, oh did, did they get rid of him is that him done they can escape together now he's got a strong jaw but there's this race to get to the exit because it's like oh it's going to be in place for like maybe a couple of minutes and then it's going to move again so there's kind of this race at the end is like he's trying to get uh kazan back you know into the room and get and he's, he's kind of, and it's, it's you know there is a very sad ending here because ultimately the villain does manage to kill almost every other character. You know, he does get come back and he stabs uh, Levin from behind, and uh, you know like it's it's, it's almost like kind of sad but sweet that Worth is there to die with her. You know when they're both lying there at the very end, it's kind of this mm-hmm. like sort of bitter, sad final to the story, um, and the. You know, the irony, or if you want to call it that, of the only survivor being Kazan, who we see walking into the light. Because that's not... It's, it's, honestly, it's a really big moment. See, when they open that door and the light, like, floods their, into the room and you see the light hit their faces of, like, presumably daylight, mm-hmm. but who knows, you know, could just be... Could be death. Uh, oh. That's kind of grim, but, like, fading to white for me is always like, okay, so <laughs> white light, you know, that's the... That's the cue for death. You you went metaphysical with it. I was just going to say it could just be bright lights that they've got in a room somewhere rather than daylight. But well, sure, of course, it, it's yeah. probably a set. <laughs> or you mean like a? No, I, I don't mean that. I don't mean into a white room. Yeah, I, no, I don't mean on. I don't mean when they're making the movie. Obviously, they're on a set. <laughs> I mean that it's literally just the exits to a room where they've got big bright lights to like obscure yeah. whatever's inside the room. Or yeah. whatever. Right? That's all I mean. Well, whatever this cube is supposed to represent, it could be that. I mean, I mean, truly, in, the only way out is death. I mean, in context of the the, the universe, not like in the real world. Why is it yeah. bright white light? Yeah, I got it. Okay. I moved on. 
Aye, but you're making me sound dumb, so I'm not having it. <laughs> I'll put my foot down, damn it. <laughs> you do that on your own. How dare you? How dare you? I dare. Oh dear. Um, so, no, so it's, it's a big ending with the final shot of him walking around to the light. Uh, and you could read this a couple of different ways. You could read this uh, of like, he's the, because he's the most innocent one, he was the only one that really deserved to get out. But that feels a bit cruel to some of the others, though, because really most of them felt, and you know, most of them were likable characters who we kind of wanted to survive by the end, other than mm-hmm. Quentin. Uh, so maybe that's a bit of a harsh thing. Um, but maybe you could say that they were too, they were already too influenced by society to, to escape into whatever the better life is. And maybe you could, yeah, you could argue that's afterlife and it's representative of, of dying. Um, it's hard for me to say that cause I've seen the sequels. <laughs> so. It is aliens, huh? I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that it, this is not him walking into the afterlife. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> But I, I can well, see. I, I don't think the director did the 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 other sequels. So uh. no, no, no. But I, I can see why you say it represents that, though. Like I, I can see that as being an allegory for it, rather than literally he's walking into the afterlife. Because I, I think that's that's one of the key things with this. That's kind of fun is that there's so much like talk about what it literally is in the world, like who built it and what its purpose is, if it has a purpose. But then there's the okay, what does it actually represent though, and what do, what do all the different elements represent? Mm-hmm. Um. The cube itself, like, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if the cube itself represents something other than just the prison of which we live in as a society. Um, but, I mean, you could go further with it. Yeah. It could be society. It could just represent, like, yeah, I don't know, just humanity. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, this is just your life. Is your life, you're stuck in a trap and something randomly can kill yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think we all feel trapped <laughs> in a system. I think that's what it's getting at. I don't know if this necessarily the cube itself represents something specific, more so the characters kind of, like, represent a bunch of things and the cube's the vessel to, to tell the story, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I, listen, that's the beauty of this, is that you, you can interpret so much of this. You can. And whatever we kind of like. Uh, whatever you want to read from this, uh, I like. I really like the idea that uh, that this thing has no real purpose. Actually, <laughs> I like that. I like that idea a lot because you know maybe life doesn't really have a purpose either. But we could just you know make it up as sure, we go along. Sure. <laughs> one one detail I like actually thinking about it is uh, so the Ren, uh, the, the the escape artist who who I mean doesn't die first in the sense that we get the cold open, but he's the first to die of the group. Of this group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I do love the idea that if we're talking about this all representing society, the idea that a prisoner is the one who's already been failed, so he he dies first. Because he's already, like, fallen into this, like, part of the system where he's never really, you know, the cynical way of looking at it is that, you know, someone who goes to prison just becomes more of a criminal and just keeps going back because the system doesn't exist to actually rehabilitate anyone. So he's just already, he's the first to go because the system's already screwed him. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's kind of an interesting way of reading that, I think. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's good. Um. Yeah, I honestly, like, I didn't know how much I was going to have to analyze coming into this. Like, I knew I'd have some to analyze, but 
I didn't realize the extent of which we would talk about all these ideas. Like, I've literally had more ideas about what this film is doing and what some of the characters represent as we've been talking about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a think piece. Which is it? Mean, everything represents something, and even if it's not obvious, like, it's fun to talk about. Yeah, but even, even if it... The less obvious, the better? Or no? Well, I think it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> the point I make the point I'm making is that uh like even if something like some stuff's really like in your face some stuff is like clearly they're bringing up these ideas because you want want us to think about them but the more you actually unravel it the more they kind of work like it actually works more the, the more in depth you think about these themes that they, they they do bring up in the dialogue in the movie the more it actually works and I think that's why it doesn't just feel like a cheap because see see if they brought it up but there was no more layers to it, and it was just like, oh, we're bringing this up to sound like we're being like a philosophical movie, it would feel hollow, and it would feel kind of cheap. But because we can sit here and talk about how they're breaking down and what, how that represents these ideas that they've been talking about, they, they, because they bring up um, who's in charge, is it a corrupt system, is it rich, just rich people, is it the government? And the fact that we can sort of like look at this and talk about how it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of both in a weird way. It's kind of about how all different aspects of society are kind of built and how it all fails certain types of people. Because um, when you look at the, this this bouquet of characters as well, you know, we've obviously hit on some of these characters already in terms of, like, what the rules are and stuff, but we have someone who is ingrained in the system. We have someone who's, like, your typical, like, kind of office guy who's just kind of, like, miserable, <laughs> right? You, you have that. You have someone who's in high school, but is also kind of cynical and miserable, even though she's supposed to have, like, a whole life ahead of her. I was thinking she was a college student. I didn't realize she was high school. I'm sure. because of the age thing. Yeah, I mean, her actual age, but I, I mean, I can't really argue with you. But I think, I think the implication was she was high school. Yeah. I mean, she was clearly meant to be a lot younger than Clinton. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you've got someone in the medical side of things, because let's face it, like people, if you're talking about the system failing people, uh, the idea of failing people by not giving them like proper care is definitely a big part of that conversation. So, you know, that's there. And then you get someone who re- is there from a prison, uh, you know, a prisoner represents mm-hmm. that side of the system. You've got and you've got someone from the school system, <laughs> and you've got a, a middle-aged man who's big, you know, is uh, what's what I'm looking for. Big, big, Begrudgingly? No, uh, no. Maybe begrudgingly in my head, and that's what I'm confusing it with. He's he's just miserable in his job. Okay, I'll just change it to a different word. He's miserable in his job. He's got some ennui. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so you so you're representing work. You're representing the police. You're representing uh, healthcare. You're representing the prison, and you're representing the school system out of these characters. Yeah. And, and then with Kazane, yeah, because she says she re- she runs a free clinic, right? Yes, yeah. She's not even, like, the, the kind of doctors who get paid a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you've got Kazane, who represents the, the most unfortunate, the most who uh, who need help. Yeah. And she quickly, well, not quickly, but she ends up becoming, like, probably the person who should be the leader in this, like, as well, it goes along. Because she's the most sympathetic, and she's the most, she has the most empathy for people, which makes sense. She's a, a doctor who works at a free clinic. An interesting part of that as well is that she doesn't really start to become that until Kazane shows up. It's almost like 
once she is able to focus on like oh i need to help this person this person needs me it's almost like that lets her forget all of her own bullshit that's getting in it like all of her worries and her like conspiracy theories and stuff that she's because she's not really being useful up to that's that point important now now yeah. it's important is that they just get out uh, but now that we'll deal with the conspiracies after <laughs> yeah but like, all i'm getting at is that once she has like a patient once she has like someone who needs her help her true nature comes out because that's who she is and it almost like like snaps her into action it snaps her into okay this is this is what i do and it becomes more real than what quentin's been doing the whole time which is just kind of this like fake i'm going to take charge and it's selfish right yeah yeah uh you know so i i, I do like that there's a twist in a couple of characters where i think both her and obviously to an even greater extent worth become better characters and more likable as the movie goes on because it makes sense that they're having trouble processing this and then become better as their true nature comes out. Uh, and then Quentin is the is the red herring. He's the you think he's the hero, but he's not. So Yeah. And let's be honest, like and not to get again, not to get too political here, but when you're young and you look at policing, you're told they're there to protect you, they're there to be the heroes for you, and you grow up sort of thinking that. Uh well, at least as a white kid you're told that anyway. <laughs> maybe maybe not so much uh for everyone. But there's maybe like a realization as you're getting older where you start to question that and you start to realize, oh, maybe that's not always true. Uh, sure. So. I don't think it's just police anyway. It's just sure. like authority figures that you put up on a pedestal because you think, oh, they're they're at that place because they, there must be something about them that they deserve to be there. Or oh, they for sure, They yeah. deserve to have this power or something. And uh, then you realize, oh, no, they're just all people who are capable of corruption things yeah, and, yeah. yeah corruption greed all the usual things abuse of power yeah and obviously the, the the quickest and easiest one to do that within a movie is a cop because it's really simple it's the most basic one to understand and like yep. and on face value you can understand his logic and where you, at the start we go oh that's why he's here he's here to like act because that's what he does but obviously as it unravels the the truth kind of starts to come out but you understand at least at first yeah there's a logic to that but ultimately it goes where it goes and it's more rich because of that because it's actually saying something about um what all these people represent in some way mm -hmm. um so there's one moment in uh it's kind of funny where um uh nicole DeBoer's character says that she's a genius and then she gets her glasses and she sticks one that's right in her eye <laughs> and corrects her quickly <laughs> I, I can't imagine she was uh, happy with that take. <laughs> hey, but that's the one they went with. <laughs> Can you not get the one where I poke myself in the eyeball, like right after I call myself a genius? That just makes me feel more real. Geniuses do dumb things. <laughs> it's just funny. That, that makes that's more real to me. That makes sense. <laughs> sure. Oh dear. Um. Ah, it's a wonderful little film. Uh, and honestly, like, I, I was really positive after watching it again today, but I feel even more positive now after talking about it. Like, great. You can you can critique, you know, some some little acting moments that are a bit over the top. Um, you know, Quentin, uh, his actor, he he likes to do like these big eyes where he's like thinking about something, or he, uh, you know, there's a lot of moments like that that's yeah, yeah. A, a bit overdone, but. Yeah, I mean, you know when he's going insane. Yeah. Oh, you definitely do. It's definitely there. Uh, but at the same time, it, it like I don't think it ever really detracts too much. Like no, it's it's kind of fun to watch. 
So it's all right. I mean, and these people seem to be there to represent uh, a bigger part of society. So you can kind of make them more caricatures of yeah, and not not as realistic. Absolutely, and honestly, I think that the tone and feeling of the movie is just always so potent as you're watching it that I don't think you ever get taken out of that. I, there's never a moment where I, I stop and go, oh, this is a silly concept, but they're all in a cube. Like, I'm always just so wrapped up in the atmosphere of it. Yeah, like, what are they doing here? How do they get out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very effective, and that's part of what I love about low-budget filmmaking is when they're able to take a single location or a simple idea and make it feel like this larger-than-life thing. It's, it's one of the best examples of it where it feels like it's hinting at this big, larger world, not just in what it represents for like society but like it represents possibly this huge conspiracy where they've built this big cube or this huge thing where aliens exist and have abducted people and they've got people for experiments in this cube and if if they are experiments whether it be aliens or humans what's the purpose of the experiments like what are they trying to see are they trying to like find the people who can solve this and get out and if so what do they want to do with them yeah, yeah. what are they going to do with Cass Cassan yeah, I don't know uh, it's, it's a very interesting idea. Uh, maybe, maybe they'll be happy he's the only one that survived because he ultimately won't really talk to anyone about it and reveal the secrets. All he wants is candy. Yeah, there's a running thing where uh, to to do the math stuff. Uh, uh, Worth says, you know, if you do as far as I'll get you something, he's, he asks for a specific candy type. Uh, I think by the end he was in like twenty seven bags of this candy. Worth it. Was that an intentional joke? Was that was that a pun? It wasn't. I forgot his name was worth. <laughs> but that'd be a great catchphrase. Uh, worth it. Do you think he says that? Do you think he winks at people? Uh, like, <laughs> like you know, so it's, maybe he seems I'd, like the type who's tired of hearing it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> said yeah. <to> him. <laughs> yeah. He goes on a first date and he, you know, he's, he's maybe a little bit of a mood because the weather's bad. They had to wait long for a table, and she leans in and goes, "Don't worry, it'll be worth it." And you're just like, "Check, please." <laughs> like I'm done. <laughs> I I like that this movie doesn't really feel like '90s, except for maybe some of the the trap special effects because yeah. everyone's in this uniform. It's like prison gear. Yeah, it's just and overall. So nothing's yeah. really all that dated because of it. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. It feels quite timeless, other than the CG a couple of moments, uh, because mm-hmm. that, especially since there's not even any reference to any specific technology, like, you know, they don't really talk about specifics. Like, I think the only thing anyone mentions at one point is that rich people buy a boat. That can apply to a lot of time, <laughs> you know? A space boat? Or... <laughs> <laughs> like, that, 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 could, that could be, like, I mean... I, well, it, yeah, nobody's asking where their cell phone is or anything like yeah. that, but... Yeah, you, know, you can't really fault it for that. It, the, it, don't get me In the future, maybe there are no cell phones. It sounds like present day, but you know, at the same time, if you told me this was like 1930, mm-hmm. like I don't know, I, is there anything in it that would dispute that? Maybe, maybe the hairstyles, but yeah. I guess what I mean to say is that the movie doesn't feel like it is dated. Like I feel like it'll age well because oh, it sure, doesn't yeah, yeah. have that 90s uh, look to it. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I I agreed with that. I, I just yeah. went. I just went into the other conversation about how this could technically be set any time because there's there's not really a lot of hints as to. Yeah, the only thing we get, I mean, not really like 
the the glasses maybe are kind of 90s oh sure yeah style but who knows like 90s style is back now i just i went to a store earlier today and i was just like wow i feel like i've time traveled yeah. back to when i was a young girl <laughs> for, for, for the record i i i think it's just present day I, I don't think it's any more complicated than that but it's just it's interesting to think that you could you know, they could do a sequel to this, and then the twist at the end is, is that it's like 1752, and we might... I mean, okay, maybe in that case it'd talk very different, so it would be noticeable, but... You know, like, they could yeah. swerve us. They could swerve us. Mm-hmm. Um, that, would be, that would be interesting. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that a present-day civilization can build this damn thing. Uh, it'd be very interesting like, if, if it did turn out, oh, we're now in, like, a previous century. So, okay, so it's definitely aliens or something on Earth that are building this thing, because... Humans in 1750 weren't building this tube. Mm-hmm. They did not have the tech. They didn't even have electricity. <laughs> yep. I don't think they did anyway. Not that far back. I don't know these things. No, I don't think so. No. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine what the, the power bill is in this this place. Like, there's a lot of cubes that are lit up. This would have to be like a some sort of Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Only rich people and powerful people across all countries <laughs> are the ones doing this. Or one really smart person who is taking all the rounding errors from everyone's bank account to become a millionaire. Mm. Which is the plot of Superman 3. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also Office Space. So Richard, Richard Pryor was doing that? Richard Pryor does that, yes. <laughs> Superman 3. <laughs> oh, dear. Smart guy. What they should have done for a sequel is uh, make it a different shape just to spice it up. They should have done like a pyramid and just ha- so it'd be really awkward angles when you get into the next room because it'd all be like different. You know, you'd be on like a diagonal in this room and then you'd have to jump up and then cylinder. That'd be difficult. Oh, maybe uh, maybe sphere is actually a, a related to this movie. I'm going to say no. No, it's not a spiritual sequel even though it's based on a book written before this but i mean <laughs> it would make for a weird like double or triple feature if you get cube sphere and then maybe find another i'm sure there's a movie called pyramid somewhere disc or disc so yeah just like it's another disc shape world i don't think that's not a movie i think it might be a mini series coming up but i don't know mm. but yeah I think we've had a pretty interesting conversation about uh, the themes and the characters of this film, though. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> Do you not think so? Yeah. <laughs> Tara's almost got the utmost confidence in our in our content. Uh, you can <laughs> you can see that she believes in it 110. <laughs> percent Yep. Well, what do you What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments. Keep this discussion going. And I'm sure there's other ways to read the film. There's there's probably other ways to read what some of the characters represent if you really want to uh, go into it. Um, I I, I do appreciate that there isn't a single bit of sexual tension with anyone until Quentin starts being creepy towards Levin and it takes a bit of a turn. Yeah, it goes a little 10 Cloverfield lane. Because I think before that, because I, I think just, and I'm going to say before that, I mean like right before, like the two or three scenes right before it, I was getting a vibe that he was starting to like go all father figure on her because like, because at one point she's like scared of him and he says, look, I won't hurt you, but we have to get out of here. You understand that, don't you, sweetheart, or something like that. 
and I was thinking, oh, is he like, is he trying to make up for like, because he, he scared his sons in the past with how he's treated her, like their mother, that he now feels that, oh, he's scaring her, so he's trying to reassure her that he's a good dad, kind of thing. Um, like, I was getting that kind of vibe yeah, I for a little because, bit. because uh, I, I don't know. I don't know when he brings it up, but eventually he does say, like, he has three kids. And yeah, he said it's, that. Before, it, it's before yeah. we know that he's not a good guy. So. It's, way, it's way, way early on, right near the start. when they're... Yeah, so this is a little bit like, oh, he's just stepping into the father role yeah. without even, you know, thinking about it. But it felt like he was doing it to try and make himself feel better. Like, he's like he's, he doesn't want to admit that he's this monster that she should be scared of. Uh, and then it takes a turn where he starts actually, like, caressing her neck. And he starts talking about how this old place you know what do you need but a man and a woman and it's like oh where's this going and yeah. he starts getting all creepy lock and key were the perfect fit ew <laughs> yeah, he does. yeah no he says something like that doesn't he I think he says yeah. um, he says something that's very innuendo yeah I think it is lock and key but I think he specifically says about like uh, the lock and key to get out of here uh, you know like I don't know <laughs> like you're the lock to this place and I am the key or something <laughs> It was, it was basically a really pervy version of uh, you the gatekeeper and the key master yeah I suppose uh, but, yeah, but this is this is when uh, Worth jumps in though so at this point you're like yeah Worth you're the hero like stop him even though you're obviously smaller and he's like built better and you, you really this is going to be a tough fight for you but he's trying and that's mm-hmm. the, the beauty of it because you root for him now because he's the underdog who's trying to do the right thing so it's you know, there's some sweet elements. Obviously, it's got a sad ending because everyone does die. But um, it's that society. We all die in the end, sadly, and we never quite get out of it. No, sir. Death is the only escape. All right. Would you like to rate Cube, Tara? I really enjoyed my watch. Uh, I did enjoy the discussion. I think. Oh, no, it was I'm... good. <laughs> I think I would like this more um, on rewatch, or if I under, um, you know, with other other theories. Maybe if I read up on like what other people think too, and what things represent. Or, oh, I'm sure there's a ton of theories yeah. online you could probably go read. Probably, but um, as of right now, I'm gonna give it a, a seven. I really do like oh. the movie, and I know it's I know it's good, and I'm. I'm sure you're gonna go much higher, but like it's I'm I'm comfortable at seven. Maybe it'll go up more on uh, uh, later on. Yeah, I'm gonna go eight point five. I, I think it's. I think the, yeah, some of its rough edges, uh, you know, some of the, the acting and you know the, the CG and you know, there's, there's, there's some things that do kind of maybe just hold it down a, a touch. Uh, but I think every time I've watched Cube, I've liked it a bit more than I did the last time I watched it. Which is which is great because I think on face value it's just a sort of schlocky B movie about a cube with traps where people get sliced and diced and you know but then you watch it and it's actually got a lot more to it. Uh, so uh, eight point five. I, I do think the themes are great. I think the the actual look and the feel of the film, the vibes and the atmosphere you get from it, and then all the thinking that you can put into it about what what the characters mean and and represent and stuff like that and. I think there's kind of a, a a charm to the fact that it's not a perfect execution of it where, and I don't just mean because some of the acting's a little bit, like, I, I do think, yeah, sometimes the way it brings up some of the themes are a little clunky, but ultimately, they're the right things to bring up, so it never really hurts it too much, but uh, yeah, but, you know, I'll acknowledge it's 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 faults here or there to, uh, and give it a, a fair score, but I, I very enthusiastically 
uh, recommend Cube to Sci-Fi fans. Um, and there's, I know there's at least one audience member who is convinced this is a horror movie and not a sci-fi movie. <laughs> and I hope over the last 90 minutes that we have made it abundantly clear why this is very much science fiction. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some horror, a lot of horror oh, in the, it. And even some, yeah. even like the death traps and stuff feel like, okay, because it's, it's, so, it's so heavy in the beginning of the movie. It's like, this is what the movie's going to be throughout. We're just going to watch these people die. Like picked off one by one but like the death traps kind of you know come to a halt once they start to figure out things yeah obviously they come back but it's it's not really about the horror of it yeah no like there's horror elements in it but it's far more of a science fiction film to me for all the themes and the the examination of society not that you can't have allegories in horror in fact you usually do in the good ones but uh you know, we said quite early on it feels very Twilight Zone at times, like the whole vibe of it, and I feel like mm-hmm. you know that that's kind of what I get from this is it's that the sci-fi side of Twilight Zone, um, and what is this place and what does it mean, um, and even if it isn't aliens, like you know, I'm not just saying it's sci-fi because it could be aliens that are doing this, <laughs> even if this is just a big government conspiracy to to do this, it still feels like science fiction to me, um, and uh, in fact, we never mentioned uh how uh quentin ultimately dies should mention this so he's actually like halfway out the door at the exit when the cube moves so you get this just blood smear (laughs) on the inner wall of the exterior it's a cute special effect (laughs) it's very obviously you know cg uh so it looks a little bit hokey but it is a wonderful like visual of just like the cube moves to the left or right yeah, we, or whatever and then down. We know what happened down. to him without yeah. yeah without actually seeing his body split in two. So he's he's literally just a blood stain on the wall. It's it's beautiful uh, yeah. on the wall of the shell. So uh, I love it. It's, it's satisfying because at this point he deserves a good like a a good shitty death. <laughs> he's like yeah, g- give him give him hell. <laughs> Though it would be also a, I mean a. a Falsier statement to say that he's the only one that survives, if Quentin is. Oh, the corruption wins. He's cheated, yeah. therefore he gets to live. Yeah, uh, it'd be which... a bummer ending, but like it's already kind of a bummer ending. But I think that, mm. uh, yeah, that would be pretty ballsy. Also, sometimes sometimes I think people uh, don't realize that what he uses to stab uh, the others with it's actually the it's one of the handles off the doors that he's pulled off. Because uh, that is a valid question. Is like, what was he using to stab people? Like, they don't have any. Yeah, there's a pretty clear shot of yeah. it. We've seen them so many times. You know, turning the door open, so or the hatch open. That it makes sense. Yeah. So, oh, cool. That is Cube. Um, one of the more interesting films I think we'll do during the 90s season. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was exciting to revisit it. And I think we will do the sequels probably in the new year because we have a lot of our 90s movies to do, and other yes. things to do. And I'm sorry, whoever wanted this to be horror, that you didn't get to hear Tim's review. <laughs> I assume so, that's why they wanted it on the horror podcast. T- yeah, tell me that. He'd have been talking about all sorts of silly shit. He'd, he'd uh, <laughs> I don't even know what he would have done with this movie. It would have been a shorter review. Because those episodes are always shorter than ours. Unless you're Halloween kills. Well, sure. The last time I checked, we haven't hit two hours, 40 minutes in a single movie yet. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I wouldn't allow that. Oh, I'll have one day. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't happen with 2001, so. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if to, to go by Halloween Kills, it'll be something that 
is puzzlingly bad. Puzzlingly bad is what's going to get us to two hours, 40 minutes. Okay. We've had two hours a few times, though. Some, some of the bigger movies do hit two hours. Uh, this one looks like it's going to be hitting about an hour 40 by the time uh, I've done my outro. <laughs> so, um, Tara, why don't you tell them what they can get if they become patrons? What are the main ace perks? That's right, Peter. If you guys are interested, uh, check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV, where if you donate as little as $3 per month, you will get access to our bonus reviews. So we have a whole catalog of bonus movies. Sort of brought it up earlier. We're talking about the Cube sequels, if they deserve to be there or not, but looks like they won't be. But that's okay, because we got lots of other movies on there. We've got like... Uh, we just finished the the Tremor series, so you can see our thoughts on Burt Gummer and his um, his his escapades into perfection and beyond. Um, <laughs> what's the one that we just did? We just did one. Uh, Species Two. Species Two, yeah. Again, another sequel to something we started on the main channel. So, um, and then there's a bunch of other fun ones. We've had some real gems in there, like. Extra was a really great one. Um, and at the okay, well, you guys got that figured out then. So, the next thing is at the five dollar level, we have another bonus show where we just sort of chit chat and talk about movies that we've watched over the last month, and that's a monthly show. And we also quiz each other on things. What, what's it called? It's really fun. It's called the Ace Movie Meltdown. Yes, go check out Patreon. You can also support us by hitting the super thanks button below the video on YouTube, or you can like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. All that stuff helps out a lot, um, as does sharing us out on Twitter. You can get us on Twitter at Screams Midnight for the Mail Fuzz Movies Twitter. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Wibble89 if you specifically want to follow my thoughts and ramblings or whatever. You could do that. So, yeah. So there you go. That is the show. That is the Atomic Summer Experiment. Hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. <laughs>